All right, church, we are continuing our summer sermon series. Our summer, summer sermon series, say that five times real fast. We're continuing our summer sermon series. Hot topics, hot topics. Now, um, what we have done is we, I, I sent out a survey and with, with about 11 or 12 different topics for you to pick from and ask you to vote on up to six topics because we're, to, we're going to dive into what, each one of these topics every week. And so one of the topics that received the highest amount of votes is, is on the sanctity of life and the human dignity. So we're going to talk this morning about human dignity, the sanctity of life. We've talked about holy sexuality. We've talked about how Christians should engage in politics. This morning we're going to talk about human dignity. Human dignity and the sanctity of life. You voted for it, and so we're going to dig, it, dig into it this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. We ask that you would speak today through your word, that we would hear what you have to say, and we would act on what we know to be true. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I told you guys last week that uh, we're changing up the way that you see the scriptures on the, on the screen behind me. You'll see like the first, the first key passage of scripture. And then, guess what? There's going to be verses and you've got to have your Bible ready to go, right? And uh, so we want you to bring your physical Bible, your physical Bible to church. I know you got your phone and that's great and all, but it's really tempting, except now because Elon Musk broke Twitter yesterday. It's really tempting to scroll back and forth from maybe the Bible to your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed. I get that it, they can be a temptation. I'm not saying it's ever happened in here. I know no one in this room has ever accidentally on purpose moved over to a social media feed in the middle of my sermon. I'm sure it's never happened, but I just want to, we're going to try to remove that temptation. Right, So I want you to bring your physical Bible so that you can follow along and so you can learn how to use a Bible. Because one day, one day, technology is all going to break and we're going to live in a dystopian world and we're not going to have any electricity. And you're going to need to know how to read a Bible. Good news. Amen. All right, continuing our series this morning on called Hot Topics. All right, we're talking about the sanctity of life. Now, as we do so often when looking at issues of life and worth and human dignity, looking at purpose and sanctity of life, we start at the beginning. What did the writers believe, the writers of the Bible, what did the writers believe about our created worth and our created value? What were they inspired by the Spirit of God to say and to write down? As Christians, church, our understanding of the value and the intrinsic dignity of humanity is bound to the Scripture and is found in the Scripture. So we're going to open up our Bibles this morning to discover what God has to say, what God thinks about human worth. Now here's a spoiler alert. God is pro-life, whole life, all life. Spoiler, right? In case you, uh, every life has value. Every life has worth to God because our lives are from God and life is from God. Now under the movement of the, of the Spirit, the psalmist 
penned these words in Psalm chapter 8. And I think you'll see this one on the screen. Psalm chapter 8, the Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of our adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, all as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. The Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Now, I love the way the uh, Good News Translation says this beginning at verse 3. So, if you, it, let's check this out. This is the way the Good News Translation says it. It says, when I look at the sky which you've made, the moon and the stars which you set in their places, what are human beings that you think of them, mere mortals that you care for them, yet you made them, this is cool, yet you made them inferior only to yourself. You crowned them with glory and honor. You appointed them rulers over everything you made. You placed them over all creation, sheep and cattle, the wild animals too, the birds, the fish, the creatures of the sea. Inferior only to God. That's what the psalmist said. You created us inferior only to God. Now you would say, well, well what about the angels? What about spiritual beings? Aren't they superior to us? How many of you would say that you would think that an angel would be superior? Well, they're supernatural. We're natural. But listen to me. In God's economy, worth is not based on power. It's based on position. Positionally, we are image bearers of God, redeemed by Christ, to display the mystery of God to all of creation, even in the spiritual realm. Listen to Paul's words to a couple churches, the church in Ephesus and a, and a church in Corinth. In Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 10 and 11, so just reading those two passages in Ephesians 3. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write down Ephesians 3, 10, 11. It says, this is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heaven. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's purpose in creation, God's purpose was that his creation would reveal the multifaceted wisdom of God. And the church is the great revelation of that wisdom. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, Paul says this to the church at Corinth, talking about our position, our inherent value and worth and position as this special creation. He says, don't you know that saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, you are unworthy. Are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more the matters of this life? 
Paul says that we we were created, the psalmist says, we were created only inferior to God. Then Paul reminds us that we were created to reveal the mysteries of God, and he reminds us that we are going to judge angels. So we were created, God created us to reveal things and to rule things, to reveal the greatness and the mysteries of God and to rule over his creation. We are positionally greater than the angels. In a courtroom under the law, a judge, while perhaps less powerful than the one she is standing in in judgment of, is not less with authority and position. Authority is greater than power. And we have all been created with an intrinsic authority by God. We were created to reveal and to rule. To reveal the mystery of God and to rule as God's, lowercase g. So that sounds kind of weird, Pastor Brock. I heard Kanye say that one time and I was like, hold up. Well, we get a hint of this design authority in Psalm 82. You got your Bible, Psalm 82, 6 and 7. I said, Psalm 82, 6 and 7, this is the, I said you are God's, lowercase g, this is God speaking. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler, lowercase g, you are God's, created to rule. Not the one true creator God, but image bearers of God. Unless you think I'm making things up, I sent my sermon to a couple different pastors here. One pastor here locally, a friend pastor, minister, said, hey, check this out. It's beautiful. Not bragging, just saying, hey, it may sound crazy. It's not crazy. Not the one true creator God, but image bearers. In that idea of as gods, it's talking about the right to rule, the authority that has been given to us as image bearers. So we need to look at our origin story. Every superhero has an origin story, right? Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and so it was. God said, all, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So God created us in his image. The writer of Genesis, Moses, tells us that we were created in the image of God. Male and female, he created us. 
This image-bearing idea, this image-bearing concept, this image-bearing reality is where our authority and dignity come from. We are not Almighty God. We are not Yahweh, but we have been created and fashioned in his image to rule and to reveal. Let me remind you of the second of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on the mountain to give to the children of Israel. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens, above or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. Here's the idea, and this may blow some of your minds because the first time I read and learned and understood this, it blew my mind, and I was like, dude, this is so cool, right? The idea is this. God has already created an image, and it's humanity. And so we are to worship God as his body on earth. We aren't God, we aren't almighty, we're not powerful, we're not sustainers, we're not the creator, but we have been fashioned in his image and given a mandate and a responsibility to rule and to reveal the fullness of God. So the idea is that we are image bearers. We bear the image. It's the same, that same concept is whenever they would make false gods or false idols and they would worship, it was they were making images, little images. We were created to be the little images of God in the world so that the creation can come to know the true God. I mean, the actual understanding of the word Christian, it means little Christs. We are to show and demonstrate what it means to look like Christ in the world. So we're to worship God as his body on earth, and we see it fully in the language of the church as the body of Christ, who is the perfect image of God, the fullness of God, who is God, capital G. He is the source and the head of the church. So we were created to reveal and to rule as God's image bearers. I hope that I'm coming clear enough for us this morning. I'm not saying like a cult or a false religion that we become gods like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, nothing like that. We are just created to rule. We aren't the creator. We aren't God in the sense of the sovereign. We are created to rule to subdue the earth. To, do, to subdue something means to bring it to order. Outside of the garden was chaos and disorder. There was a mandate to subdue the earth as lowercase gods on the earth. Because of the disobedience in the garden, the chaos and the disorder grew worse, which God addresses in Psalm 82. So let's read Psalm 82 again. 
for the full fullness. God stands in the divine, divine assembly. He pronounces judgments among judgment among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. They do not know or understand. They wander in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler. Rise up, God, judge the earth, for the nations belong to you. Part of the subduing of the earth, part of bringing order to chaos, involves bringing righteousness and justice to those oppressed by the disordered effects of the fall. So our job is to represent God on the earth, and part of that means seeking righteousness and justice because of the fall. The poor, he lists some people, the poor, the needy, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the unborn, the oppressed, the destitute. Our revealing and ruling point to what the psalmist would call foundations of God's throne. In in Psalm 89, verse 14, the psalmist writes, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they will too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he'll answer, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He equates, listen, he equates the poor and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned with himself because all humanity bears the image of God. If we aren't valuing all of life, we are devaluing the God who created us in his image and gave us life. So, God is pro-life, whole life for all life, because we are his special creation, given greater authority than the angels and revealing a greater mystery than any of anything else in God's creation, the mystery of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, 17, 18, 19, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So life matters. We believe In the sacredness of life, the sanctity of life. That's what sanctity means. It means sacredness. So when you hear folks talking about the sanctity of life, they're talking about sacredness. There is a sacred gift 
we have been entrusted with and a sacred task we have been given, and that is to reveal God and to rule as God's image bearers on the earth. Is, is, are you with me this morning? Making sense? So, to say all of that, that's the foundation for why we believe in the sanctity of life. Because we are image bearers of God, a unique, special creation by God, given a greater responsibility and given a greater task, created only inferior to God, with a mandate to rule what he has entrusted to us. He is God. We are not God. We are created only inferior to God and given the revealing and the responsibilities as image bearers of God. So because of the special, unique creation that we are as humanity, life matters. Life matters. So let's talk for a few minutes this morning about, and again, I'm not going to keep you very long here. But let's talk for a few minutes about life. The preborn. The preborn life matters. The Bible affirms life in the womb. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was born, he was formed and chosen by God with purpose. In Psalm chapter 139, verse 13, the psalmist writes, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There is an intricate knowledge of the preborn by God. We see in the in the birth story of Jesus, in this in the conception and the 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 the, the, the uh, pregnancy of Mary, that when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth was pregnant with who would become John the. Baptizer, and when Mary entered into the room with, with, when pregnant Mary entered the room with pregnant Elizabeth, the scripture says that John in the womb of Elizabeth leapt for joy and was filled with the Spirit because Jesus came into the room. There is pre-born life matters to God. The disabled, the disabled matter to God. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses replied, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said, Who placed the mouth on humans? You didn't do it. 
Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. God is saying that life is precious and valuable, no matter what you may be facing or going through. Don't think that God can't use what we might consider a disability. God will still get glory, and God still finds value. There is still intrinsic value for Something else to understand is that this life isn't all there is. Life matters temporarily because life matters eternally. God is still God and life is precious. And God sees and knows and finds value and dignity in every life, whether able-bodied or disabled. The immigrant. Leviticus chapter 19, 33 and 34. When an alien resides within you in your land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the alien who resides with you as a native born among you. You are to love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. When the alien resides within you, with you in your land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself. It doesn't matter who they are, where they come from. Doesn't matter if they're an immigrant, if they're if they're a migrant, it doesn't matter. It does not matter who they are. They are valuable. They have life and they should be treated with dignity. Life matters. People matter. The problem is when we start talking about life issues, a certain segment of, of people who are drawn one way politically focus on a certain set of of life issues, and another group of people who are drawn another way politically focus on another set of life issues, but God focuses on all of life issues. We talked about how we should be engaged in politics, kingdom engagement last week. Ethnicities, ethnicities matter to God. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After I looked, there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is a picture of eternal worship around the throne of God. All ethnicities, every tribe and tongue, worshiping together at the throne. All worshiping together, eternally. All are image bearers of God, worshiping their creator for eternity. Galatians chapter 3, 28 says, There's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you're all one in Christ. Especially in the lives of believers, there should be not even a hint of racism because every people matters to God. Life matters to God. So we should live like life is sacred. 
we should live like life is sacred. This understanding of the sanctity of life should impact how we live, what we support, and how we even think about politics. Christians established hospitals, rallied against slavery even when other Christians were ripping out pages of Scripture to use to keep black folks enslaved. Other Christians were standing up and saying no. Christians have fought against unjust capital punishment. Christians have promoted just immigration laws. Christians have championed adoption and foster care services. The early Christians in Rome, when Romans were throwing out their baby daughters because they didn't want girls, they wanted boys, the Christians would go rescue the infants and keep them and raise them as their self, giving the baby girl dignity in a culture and in a country where girls girls were not valued. Life is sacred. Life is precious because it comes from God. Karen Swallow Pryor, author, professor, she has been in the pro-life movement for many years, jailed even for her participation in pro-life causes. She says this. She says, well, I do want to be able to talk about abortion as an issue and to treat that as, it, as its own issue, just as we need to treat euthanasia as an issue or capital punishment as an issue. There are a whole range of issues that ask us to think about what the sanctity of life means in those We do, I think, have an opportunity here to think about what it really means to be pro-human life in every way. Even though obviously there will be political differences about what it means, how we deliver health care, how we implement justice in the justice system, all of those things, no matter what our position ends up, should be based on the understanding that all human life is sacred. Benjamin Watson, former, former football player, now pro-life advocate and advocate for racial justice, Christian, wonderful Christian man. He just wrote a new book called The New Fight for Life. He has been involved in pro-life, the fight for pro-life issues for many years. He's got seven kids, he and his wife. Watson in his new book says, the goal is to make abortion unthinkable and unnecessary. Unthinkable and unnecessary. And as an aspect to achieving that, an aspect to achieving that is, address, is addressing a statistic his organization, or his organization found, that 76% of women say they would prefer to parent their child if their circumstances were different. What the, their study found was 70%, of, 76% of women who have an abortion say that if their circumstance, circumstances were different, they would not have an abortion. They would want to keep their baby. If their economic position was different, if their marriage status was different, if, other situ, if their health care was better or different, they would not have an abortion. They would have the baby. Let me ask you, church, are we pro-life or are we just pro-birth? What can we do 
for those women who would say, that 76% of women who would say, I would have this baby, but I'm, how can we support a choice for life? Tim Keller says this, recently passed away, theologian, pastor. He said, basically, Christians ought to be equally and energetically concerned about guarding the life of the unborn, about racial injustice, about the plight of the poor, and about promoting sexual morality and the health of the family. We should not have to choose among these. God is pro-life, whole life, all life. And we, as the people of God, should be concerned with life. And we will disagree on how to best create a culture of life. But we must agree that life is sacred and we should do what we can to promote a culture of life. For the Christian, life policies, including abortion, isn't merely politics or power. It should not be. For the early church, actually, it was actually the opposite of power and politics. It was about valuing every life, even the ones the powerful and the political discarded. From the beginning, we were created unique in God's creation as image bearers. We were told to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the earth and to fill it. We were given authority. Life was deemed precious and sacred. We were high priests in the temple garden of God. We rebelled. Sin flourished. Disregard for human life was rampant. Murder and violence multiplied. God speaks to Moses from the mountain, do not murder. Why? Because life is sacred. The sacredness and the sanctity of life is a pillar of Christian faith. Jesus even tells us if we hate our brother or sister, we're guilty of murder in our hearts. The taking of innocent life always points to the brokenness of humankind and the need for restoration and wholeness. Scripture speaks clearly to the value and the humanity of all life, including the unborn. We've looked at the Scripture already. The psalmist writes that God formed the inward parts and fashioned him in his mother's womb. The prophet Jeremiah speaks the word of the Lord when he says that God knew him, called him, appointed him as a prophet to the nations, even while he was in his mother's womb. John the baptizer again was filled with the Spirit of God while in Elizabeth's womb. Mary entered to the room pregnant with Jesus. The Didache, one of the Christian's earliest documents, written during or very soon after the time of the 11 apostles. The the Didact besides the Bible is one of our closest sources detailing the beliefs of the first Christians. It speaks to many issues that early Christians and not so early Christians had to reckon with in life and faith. And one of those was 
abortion because abortion was common even then. And the second commandment, the second rule from the the didact is this. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not seduce boys. You shall not commit fornication. You shall not steal. You shall not practice magic. You shall not use potions. You shall not procure an abortion nor destroy a newborn child. The sanctity of life has always been a Christian issue and a Christian belief. Politicians may have used the issue to acquire power and secure votes, and they have and they will continue to do so on both sides of the aisle. But at its core, for the believer, abortion is not about politics. It's about Imago Dei. It's about the image of God in humanity and our unique creation and sacredness. Life matters. The ESV study Bible notes this. More than merely condemning abortion and infanticide, however, early Christians provided alternatives by rescuing and adopting children who were abandoned. For instance, Callistus, AD 223, provided refuge to abandoned children by placing them in Christian homes. And Benignus of, of Dijon in the third century offered, offered nourishment and protection to abandoned children, including some with disabilities caused by unsuccessful abortions. Scripture is clear, church, in the teaching and the testimony of the first Christians bear witness. Human life is sacred, and the taking of life is a tragic betrayal of the beauty, the design, and the dignity of our Creator and of His creation, us. Life matters. Let me also say this, this is important, that while life matters— We understand that if you are here and you've had an abortion, you're not my enemy. You're not God's enemy. You are loved. You are known. You are valued. And there is grace and mercy and forgiveness and healing offered to you in Jesus. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God is good and merciful. And he extends grace He offers healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, physical healing, and He will come near to you and remind you that He is the Christ and that He loves you. And that he can wipe every tear away. He is both just and justifier.
So this morning, know and hear that life is precious, life matters, because we are created in the image of God, and God in his goodness and mercy has provided a way for those of us who are far from him or who have rebelled against him to come back to him and find wholeness and healing in the goodness of God. So we don't stand in judgment today. We stand pointing you to the one who justifies and forgives. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness and your power and your love. I pray, God, this morning for those who maybe feel shame or feel guilt. I pray, God, that they would call on you. And that they would find grace and mercy in time of need. I pray, God, that we as your people would recognize the intrinsic value and dignity in humanity because we are created as image bearers of God to reveal and to rule. You are the source of life. You are the author of life. And so, God, we, we worship you and we respect life because it comes from you. We value life because it comes from you. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed this morning. I would just say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Help me to help me to value life better. Help me to not see it through a lens of politics, but a lens of Scripture. And even maybe there's some in this room that would say, and that maybe you had an abortion and you would say, Pastor, would you just pray for me that I would find grace and mercy, healing? If you just need prayer this morning, right where you're at, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me? Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for life. Life is precious, valuable, and has purpose. We were created, God, to reveal and to rule, to show all of creation the mysteries of our God. We give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. I'm here thankful for a pastor that, that cares about people. That doesn't see people as a, a means to uh, get a paycheck, or, but, but cares about the life of people, uh, even, so, even so far as, as their financial well-being and, and their, not just their spiritual well-being, but their financial well-being and, and life, uh, the quality of life as a whole, Right? That's what we're to be as believers. We, we've talked about it before. I was talking to Pastor, you know, it, when, when, when Scripture says that when the Israelites went for, forth and there were none infirmed among them, right? That everyone gave of themselves so that no one had lack, right? And that's all part of the value of life. Do we value the life of our brother and sister next to us? Do we value the life? Uh, it goes further than, than what we consider a lot of times, right? Amen. But we're so glad that each and every one of you are here because we enjoy doing life together. We enjoy uh, joining you uh, together in the family of, in the body of Christ. Uh, so we are family here. Uh, we're so glad that you're here visiting. If it's